So good morning again. Um, before we jump into uh, what I think the Lord has, what I am convinced that the Lord has for us today, I want to say really kind of two things that are super, super tied together. And number one is this, if you just didn't really realize it, we had an election on Tuesday. It's a national election. People voted for, you know, people in the legislature and for president. And so we had an election Tuesday. Be a Christian at all times. Act like a Christian. You confess, you profess to be a Christian, act like a Christian. And those two things, they kind of go together because we saw a lot of not that after, well, in the days leading up to Tuesday and then Tuesday. Don't go nuts like ranting and raving and screaming and attacking other, even believers, like attacking other believers because they don't agree with you. And if that's you and you somehow you can't help yourself, I think that you probably got to, look, we're getting real today. We're actually going to get super really real. You need to look at the man in the mirror and, and check your belief system and check your worldview. Ask yourself, would Jesus be saying this? Would Jesus be posting this? Would Jesus be thinking this? Would he be on Instagram saying this or that or Facebook and saying this or that? The advice is post something, say something, tweet something that would be pleasing to the Lord. Say something that would be pleasing to the Lord unless for you, maybe, the whole thing and life and all of it is way more political or social or racial than it is spiritual. If that's the case for you, then I fear for you, actually. That's about the only way that I could say it. I fear for you. Scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God. That's a big deal. Seek first the kingdom of God. Love your enemies. Your enemies. Love those who, who don't agree with you. Pray for those who don't agree with you. Everybody is not going to agree with you. Everybody is not going to agree with me. I'm commanded by Scripture to love them. And that doesn't mean uh, insincere gratitude. Love them. You know, uh, and maybe you don't know, a lot of prep goes into a message on a Sunday morning. A lot of study, a lot of prayer, a lot of reading, a lot of writing. You know, usually for me it's about 25 hours a week kind of goes into a message. And so this week, and, and listen, man, we were supposed to be in a new series in Romans 9, 10, and 11 called Blueprint. It's kicking off today kind of read and studied, and that's, you know, the first few verses of chapter 9 of Romans are not the easiest, uh, easiest verses to understand and to preach, and so a lot of study went into that, and then on, and it was, it was ready, and then the worship guide gets, uh, I have to send the notes to Lorna, our church admin, and she prints the worship guide, and the slides go to, to Tripp, the production director, all of that stuff happens uh, towards the latter part of the week, and, and then a lot of prayer, everything is bathed in prayer. And then Sunday morning, you know, the Lord has a message for us. So that happened this week. And then on Saturday morning, uh, yesterday morning, I don't know what time it was. I'm going to guess it was around 7 o'clock and I was sitting in my chair. Every guy has a chair. If you're a guy, raise your hand if you got a chair. If you got a chair, it's your chair. And I was sitting in my chair yesterday morning and Susan, my wife, comes walking in there and says, I don't really think that you should preach Romans 9 tomorrow. She said, I, I 
she didn't say the Lord spoke in my ear. That's not what she said. But she said, I feel like people need to get their arms around who God is. People need to get their arms around the holiness of God. It's a word that's not used a lot today. But people need to get their arms around that. She said, I just feel like in the state our country is in, da-da-da-da-da, people need to hear about, about the Lord. And so she does, that doesn't happen very much. We've been married 32 years, and I have learned, isn't it 32 years? <laughs> Praise the Lord, I got that right. <laughs> um, I've learned that when she does say something like that, I've just learned to listen. You know, I've just learned to listen to that. And so, in light of that, we're punting on Romans 9 until next Sunday. And we're going to be in the, the book of Isaiah. And your worship guides, and I understand we ran out, which is kind of a cool problem. But it's okay that we ran out because it's not relevant anymore. Because it was printed, it's really, it'll be relevant next week. But um, inside of those worship guides, if you got one, you got a piece of paper that looks like that. It's got Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and some place for notes. That's what you need today, and if you didn't get one, we've got 50 more in the back. I've got somebody. You're going to need this. If you'll just raise your hand, and we'll, we'll get one in your hand if you don't have that. So I want to read for us this morning uh, Isaiah, the first eight verses of chapter 6 of Isaiah's prophecy. I want to, I want to read this for you all. This is a vision that Isaiah has, okay? <clears throat> your, little, your Bible probably has a little heading at the top that says the vision of Isaiah the prophet or something. So verse 6, beginning in, excuse me, chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> in the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings with Two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, I, Isaiah, in this presence of the Lord, I said, Woe is me, for I'm lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people, a nation of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. What you just heard, and it's a little odd that is in the sixth chapter of Isaiah, but you just heard the commissioning of the prophet Isaiah. The Lord commissions Isaiah into the business of being a prophet. Well, what is a prophet? A prophet speaks on God's behalf. A prophet is a truth teller. At the end of the day, the prophet speaks truth. A lot of times people don't want to hear the truth. Truth's a funny thing, man. And the reality is our truths can't be 
in conflict. It's not like Isaiah stands up and says, I'm going to speak something, but if you don't agree with it and it's true for you, then that's fine. What's true for you is true and what's true for me is true. No, that's nonsense, y'all. Isaiah is a, if he's speaking for the Lord, if he's an emissary for the Lord, if he's a prophet for the Lord, he's speaking infallible truth. That's what the scripture is. And so the price, what the prophet does in Isaiah 6, the beginning is the commissioning of Isaiah. And Isaiah was a, was a mature man of God. Isaiah was not a new believer. Not that there's something wrong with new believers. But I, and I'd rather have a new believer than an old lost person, right? So, but, but Isaiah is a mature man of God. And the text says at the beginning of chapter 6, it says, In the year of King Uzziah's death. Now at the time, Israel was divided. It was a divided nation. You had the northern kingdom, uh, Israel, and the southern kingdom was Judah. And King Uzziah was the king in Judah. He actually was the longest reigning king in Judah. Fifty-two years he was the king. And it's the year that he died. So there's a changing of the guard. And the people are freaking out. It was turmoil. There was contention there was there was it was it their people are like oh my gosh what is going to happen now we got to have a new leader what are we going to do who's going to lead us who's going to be in charge who the president's going to be they're freaking out about it there's all kinds of what ifs and it's in that scene it's in that it's in that world that Isaiah has this vision and he saw this vision of the Lord and Isaiah in his vision, y'all, he's way, he's way above Jerusalem, right? He's way above and he's beyond. He's with the Lord, right? It's a vision of the Lord. He's way above Jerusalem. You know what? He's way above Georgia and North Carolina and Arizona and Nevada and Michigan and Pennsylvania. He's way beyond and above all of that. He's in the big leagues now. And he sees the Lord on a throne. He sees the Lord on his throne, not in Jerusalem, but up in the, in the heavens. And when that happens, he ain't worried about who the king is or who the king, the new king is going to be, right? He's not worried about all that. He's in the very presence of the king of kings and the king of kings is seated on his throne and he rules and he reigns over America and he rules and he reigns over Israel and he rules and he reigns over Russia and China and all of it and nothing, nothing, nothing can happen unless he permits it to happen. He will have the final word always 100% of the time. And as amen is right. And in that scene, Isaiah, he has this new assurance and like even this new confidence when he sees this vision of the Lord on his throne. Because if you look at the earth, you can get nervous and you can get anxious and you can get depressed and you can get angry and you can get sad with what goes on in our world. Can you not? You can get sad. We had an election Tuesday and everybody's freaking out. What's going to happen? What if he gets elected? What if, no, what if he gets elected? What's going to happen? But when you see him on the throne and you're walking with him and he indwells you, when you see him and you see him on the throne, well, well, that changes everything because he's the one that reigns. And nothing happens 
Y'all get this now. Nothing happens ever unless he permits it. Daniel, the prophet Daniel in chapter 2, he writes just that. He says he changes times and seasons. He says he removes kings and sets kings up. Daniel said he gives wisdom to the wise. He gives knowledge to to people who have understanding. So if you're wise... The Lord gave you the wisdom. If you have understanding, the Lord provided the knowledge. He sets kings up and he deposes kings. There's massive assurance in that. There's massive security and confidence in the fact, the fact that nothing happens unless he permits it to happen. Do you need that today? Do you need that assurance today? I do. I mean, I literally do. Because to say that none of us have doubts is just probably not true. I need that today. Do you need to be able to grab a hold of that and and hold on to that? You know, are your eyes on the God who breathed everything into existence, who spoke everything into existence, or are you focused on men who just come and go like with the wind? I would say this. Do you, does anybody here, And I would say you probably don't. Does anybody here remember who the president was during the Great Depression, 1929, when the stock market tanked? I would say probably none of us do. None of us do. And I would say this. If Jesus doesn't come back 100 years from now, ain't nobody 100 years from now going to remember who the president was in 2022. What you and I think in the moment, like in the moment, I mean like right now in this moment, what we think and what we feel Uh, And the feelings are real. I can't tell anybody how to feel. But what we think um, is the end of the world is really just a blah, blah, blah in history's timeline. But the ultimate king, the Lord of lords, he rules and he reigns forever, period. And Isaiah in that moment is like, let me just hang out here for a little bit. It's almost like Matthew chapter 17, the transfiguration. Jot down Matthew 17. Peter is there. A couple of Jesus' guys are there. And, and it's the transfiguration. And Jesus is, the light is amazing. And what does Peter say? You know, impetuous Peter. Peter says, I'm going to pitch a tent and hang out a little bit with the Lord. That's kind of like what Isaiah's saying. He's saying, I'm, I, I like this. I'm going to be up here. The Lord is here and there's light and the seraphim and all this stuff. But, it, but you know, it's not just the... Um, it's not just the assurance and the stability and the confidence that Isaiah is getting from being in the presence of the Lord seated on this throne. The atmosphere is a little charged with something else. It's not just power. Is there power? Oh, my gosh, there's unbelievable power that he's seeing and he's feeling. But it's not just this atmosphere of the sovereign God ruling and reigning, but you got the seraphim, six wings and their they're flying around and they're singing and they're praising and there's smoke and you know the smoke's not coming from a smoke machine. There's smoke, there's burning coal and they're flying around and they're singing, they're praising and what are they saying? They're saying holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. In Hebrew, in that ancient language, emphasis is placed by repetition, not by loudness. In our world, it's by loudness. It's all capital letters on Facebook when you're screaming at somebody. But in that ancient language, it's repetition. So it's not like they said, holy. No, they said, holy, holy, holy. 
Like if something was really, really big, it wouldn't be big. It'd be big, big, big. Does that make sense? That's the language. So there's massive three times emphasis on what the seraphim are saying. Holy, holy, holy. And God is big time holy. He will never be cast out. He will rule and he will reign forever. In this whole scene, it is nothing but holiness and purity. There's nothing impure. Everything is pure. There's nothing immoral. It's nothing but morality and there's love. There's not any hate. There's nothing but pure love in this scene where Isaiah is. There's no hate-filled language. There's not gossiping going on. And these seraphim are crying out, holy, holy, holy. And it is overwhelming to the prophet Isaiah. And so Isaiah's having this experience, right? And I would say for me and you today, if you're here watching online, in this unbelievably challenging time that we're in, this unbelievably ugly time that we're in, this unbelievably hate-filled, hateful, polarized, screaming at each other time that we live in, that's the kind of time that we need a fresh dose of, of the Lord's holiness, a fresh experience of God and His holiness. And you don't hear that word holy much anymore, that word holiness. You don't hear it. You don't even hear it from pastors preaching across America. The word is almost like a bad word, like, well, but why is that? And it is because it calls out sin. And Lord knows we don't want to talk about sin because we may run people off if we happen to talk about sin. If we point out that there's such a thing as sin and that it needs to be blotted out and that we need to gaze upon the very face of the creator of the universe and his holiness. In our world, holiness is minimized and what is said is just remember that he loves you. Go ahead and act and do whatever it is that you want the way you've been acting and just remember that God loves you. Go ahead and keep shoplifting from Target because I just want you to remember, honey, God loves you. God loves you. Keep on screaming hate at your friend on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, but God loves you. Keep on screaming at your friends, how can you call yourself a Christian and vote for him? And then your friend screams back, no, how can you vote for him and call yourself a Christian? Keep on doing that, y'all, because God loves you. Keep on acting completely unchristian, but just remember God loves you. Y'all, that is not what this book says. It's not. It is not. How do you think the lost world, what do you think they think about when you got a post, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And the very next post is you screaming and cussing at somebody about who they voted for. What you reckon that does for that person who is looking for truth? You just pushed them away because they don't want to have anything to do with the God that you confess to be your Savior. Now, of course God loves you. And thank God that he's merciful and that he's gracious 
and that he's loving. But right here in, in, in this vision that Isaiah is having, the Bible is painting this picture, this majestic, beautiful image. You see it right there of God's holiness. And the light is unbelievable, right? This holiness of God. And it's in that moment, and it's a little, it's a little unexpected maybe. It's in that moment of holiness that it sort of breaks Isaiah. It kind of breaks him. And so he not only he gains this assurance and confidence that the Lord is on the throne, but personally, look at verse 5. Personally, what does Isaiah, how does he react to this? He says, woe is me. Woe is me for I'm lost. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He says, woe is me. I'm in the presence of a holy God. No, actually I'm in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. And he says, woe is me. Y'all, when we are in his presence, when we are walking with him, how can we point a finger at the next guy and say, woe is you. No. If we're walking with him and he's living inside of us, it ought to drive us to our knees and we say, woe is me. You can always tell, always tell, when somebody has been walking with the Lord and they're a mature believer, they're a mature Christian, because they're not pointing the finger and saying, woe is you. They're not. They're, pointing, they're, not, they're not spewing out hate-filled language all over the place. A mature Christian just doesn't do that. And they don't do that, I believe, because they're a whole lot more self-aware, right? They don't do that because they're a whole lot more caught up in their own um, inadequacies, in their own brokenness, their own failings. They're a whole lot more aware of the person in their mirror than the person outside of their window, right? And so now Isaiah is a mature believer. He's a mature follower of the Lord. And Isaiah belonged to the Lord. And when he gets into God's very presence, when anybody gets into God's very presence, you don't see and focus on other people's faults, even if they're real. You don't do that. And you don't start pointing them out and screaming and yelling. You don't do that. You see your own faults and your own failures and your own misgivings. Now, there's a principle in there, y'all, a huge principle. Whenever somebody's all the time talking about what other people are doing wrong, the odds are pretty huge that they're not walking with the Lord. That's real. No. When you get close to God, you really talk a lot more about His mercy and how thankful you are for His grace. It really drives you to your knees and you're like, oh my goodness, thank you, Lord, for the mercy. Lord, it is me that's standing in these shoes desperately in need of your grace. Jeremiah said it in Lamentations. I think it's chapter 3. Jeremiah said, Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning because I need them every single morning. And I believe Isaiah realizes this in a big, big way when he's standing in the presence of that light 
and that light is shining down on Isaiah and it shines and exposes his brokenness and woe is me is what he says in the light of the throne room of God. My wife Susan is Mrs. Clean. We call her Mrs. Clean. She's a, she is a cleaning machine. Some people get high on drugs. Susan gets high on Lysol. That kind of didn't come out right. That sounded like she sniffs Lysol. I promise you she does not sniff Lysol. She doesn't. Our kids would tell you that she doesn't want dirty dishes in the sink, particularly if the dishwasher is empty. Like, why would you, she signs a light. Why, Ed, would you leave dirty dishes in the sink when the dishwasher is empty? And, I, you know, that's a conundrum because if you say, well, it's not empty, it's full, then what is a man supposed to do? Empty it, right? Right, so you can't, it's an unanswerable question. That's when I just kind of turn around and go, like, talk to Rudy or something. <clears throat> so you can't have dirty dishes in the dishwasher. You really can't. And so sometimes I'm a guy and I'm busy and I walk in after work and I may put something in a place that maybe it doesn't go. I got a jacket on. I lay the jacket on the, on, over the top of the, the back of the chair. I hear you, bro. It's not the place, not where they go. Busy guy. The chair was there. The jacket was in my hand. I lay the chair. I lay the jacket there. Or sometimes, maybe because I'm tired or busy or whatever, I may step over something that is in a place where it doesn't belong. Right? Guys do that. Women are laughing because they know their husbands do that. And it's in those moments that Susan will say to me, "Excuse me, darling, darling. You know, it's, it's such an insincere, darling, at that moment. Excuse me, darling. Did you not see what you stepped over?" Like, that's an unanswerable question, too. Because if you say, no, I didn't, then you're a blind fool. And if you say, you did, then you're lazy, right? Just yesterday, y'all, yesterday, you know, we had a storm a couple weeks ago, and there, apparently, that storm knocked a bunch of branches and pieces of tree in our front yard. And I guess yesterday I realized that I've been being tested for the last two weeks to see if I saw all of those branches in our yard and just... Frankly, no, I didn't. And Susan exposed me to the fact that I missed all those branches, and so I was cleaning branches up yesterday afternoon in our front yard. So the answer to the question is, the question, did you see that? Sometimes it is yes, and sometimes it is no. Sometimes I saw it, and I just don't care. Sometimes I didn't see it because my mind may be elsewhere. Either way, what Susan has a knack for doing because of her CC. Anybody know what CC is? That's cleaning conscientiousness. CC. She has a knack for exposing me to the light. She speaks the word to call attention to the fact that something in my world ain't right. Something has gone unaddressed. Something is out of kilter. Something, I'm walking in the dark and she's going to expose me to the light, she lets me know that I missed the mark somewhere. Whether it's intentional or unintentional, I missed the mark. And she brings a little light to the situation, so I got options. Now, I can either change my actions and walk into the light, because that light has been now been given to me, or I can continue to walk in the way that I was walking, and the Bible calls, calls that walking in darkness. 
Because if I keep on walking in the direction that I've been walking, then I'm no longer walking in the light, I'm walking in the darkness. The light has exposed my wrongdoing. And then I'm no longer walking in the light. I'm walking in the darkness. Because I can see what the light has shown me and I've chosen not to respond to it. Isaiah is exposed to this light. He's, this light is everywhere like you can't even imagine. And what effect does it have on him? Isaiah cries out, woe is me. I'm so lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. It's what the light does. How can you think about somebody else's faults and mistakes when you're walking in that light? Like, how can you do that? So Isaiah, he gains this strength and assurance and confidence and this stability because God is on this throne, right? But then at the same time, he's broken. Don't you understand this principle? For God to use us, he has got to break us first. You will never land at the foot of the cross until you acknowledge how broken you are. And his light, that, is, that should be our response to that. In the light of the Lord, I am so nothing. I'm so broken. And it's so crazy because he loves me in the middle of all that. You know, and when you are full of, of yourself, and when you're self-righteous, and when you think I'm better than everybody else, and my opinions are righter and better than everybody else's, and I'm the best preacher of the word, and I'm the best interpreter of the word of God, and, and nobody else understands the scripture the way I do, if I say that, I think God's going to reach down his hand and say, I think it's time for you to go to the sideline for a little bit. I think it's time that you ride the pine on the bench for a little bit because God resists the proud. God resists the, the self-righteous. And what does God do with humility? He offers grace and mercy to the humble. And so look at what Isaiah says in verse 5. Woe is me for I am lost and I am a man of unclean lips. Does he say I am, an, am a man who who stole from the cash register? Does he say, no, I'm a man who has slept around on my wife? Does he say, I'm a man who sold drugs to children on the streets? No, no, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I think this light bulb kind of went off above Isaiah. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in a land in the midst of a whole nation of people with unclean lips. Y'all, he's talking Words, the words that come out of your mouth make a difference. They make a difference. They so make a difference. And, and Isaiah is saying, and like what comes out of his mouth, the first thing he mentions in the light of the presence of the holiness of God is like, Lord, I have said so many things that were so wrong. I've said so many things that are so nasty. I've said so many things that are so condescending to my wife, so so many things that that have been so mean and hateful and spiteful. I've spoken with this hate. He and so Isaiah says, "Woe is me." He doesn't point his finger and say, "Woe is you." No, he says, "Woe is me." 
Woe is me. And he says, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. So in this bananas season of election season and politics and me and you, my prayer is that we would see the Lord seated on his throne to be in his presence. Well, why do I want to be in his presence in this season so that we don't get all bent out of shape uh, by the winds of politics that, that blow left and, then, and then, then they blow right? Don't get all bent out of shape. See and embrace the Lord's holiness. And while you're seeing and embracing the Lord's holiness, check your own brokenness. The winds of politics, they've been blowing all the time. And they will continue to blow all the time. And so now Isaiah's got this confidence and, and this stability and this assurance that the Lord is on the throne. And he also he sees his own brokenness. And I, and I think that he thought and he felt that he was in a really authentic kind of place. And then verse 6 says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, Isaiah says. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. It's like the Lord is saying in this, in this vision, you have confessed your sins and now I've got it. I'm removing your guilt. That's what the coals do in Isaiah's vision. And so Isaiah's lips have been touched. Were they clean or unclean? Were they clean or unclean? They were unclean. They've been touched and cleansed. And I think the Lord's making this point. Isaiah's lips had been unclean, and with burning coal, the Lord touches them, and it cleanses Isaiah. For me and you, I think when we feel like jumping in the fray, when we feel like so-and-so said something on Instagram, and we feel like jumping all in the middle of that and spewing filth and hatred and, and nastiness and gossip, in that moment, are we really walking with the Lord? Do we really believe what we say we believe? Do we really believe in the omnipresence of God? Can you all say omnipresence? One, two, three. Omnipresence. What that means is God is everywhere all the time. And so if I'm sitting there and I'm about to type on my phone or on my, on my laptop something nasty to somebody, do I really believe that God is there with me in that moment? I would say you don't. I would say you don't because you wouldn't do it if you did. So are we conscious of his presence in those moments? I would say that if you were conscious of his presence in those moments, that it wouldn't happen. And if you're not, you just go and do whatever you're going to do. And now... In this vision, God says something, and it's kind of odd. And it's in the middle of the changing of the guard. Remember, this is the year King Uzziah died. So it's in the changing of the, of the king, the anointing of a new king in Judah, who at the end of the day is going to be Uzziah's son, Jotham. And when Uzziah was the king, he's not a terrible king, but there was some idol worship going on. When Jotham, his son, he wasn't a terrible king either, but there was some idol worshiping going on. People had drifted away a little bit from the Lord. And when King Uzziah was king, people had drifted a little bit away. And so then I wonder, why does he say what he says in verse 8? Because we think, this is just human nature, we think that all of creation 
is waiting and anticipating who's going to win the U.S. presidential election. All of creation hinges on who is going to be the president. Israel at the time, they had this whacked out idea that all of creation was waiting to see who the king in Israel was going to be. And so here's why I think God says this in verse 8. Because you see no king, no president, no prime minister, no speaker of the house, no vice president, none of them can ever do one thing to change one human heart. None of them have the power or the authority to change a heart. Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, Bush 1, Bush 2, Barack Obama, Trump, none of them are in the heart-changing business. Does that make sense? None of them. I'm not a new creation because in 2001 when I got saved, you know, Paul calls us a new creation when we get saved. I'm not a new creation because in 2001 when I got saved, W was president, so therefore I'm a new creation. No, no, y'all, I'm a new creation because of Jesus Christ, because he died on a cross and he saved me. And I got a heart transplant because God's in the heart transplant business. Not whoever is the president or the prime minister or whatever. No, none of them can ever change a human heart. George Washington couldn't do it way back in the day. And the heart is the seat of life. And so now God says this amazing thing, this God who's on the throne, the King of Kings, and His glory is so overwhelming, and His holiness is so overwhelming to the prophet Isaiah. And He says in verse 8, in light of all of this, He says in verse 8, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? It seems so odd in that moment, unless you look at it in light of Him breaking Isaiah down. He breaks Isaiah down, and then He says, Whom shall I send? In other words, the people are messed up and they're jacked up and they're worshiping idols and they have unclean lips and holiness is not even in their vocabulary. Holiness is not even in the conversation. They strayed so far away and they're, they're headed for a train wreck and they really don't even know they're headed for a train wreck. But the Lord says to them, I love them and I want to be in relationship with them. He's saying that to y'all, all of us today. I want to be in a relationship with you. Who is it? that I can send out to be my, my emissary. Who can I send out? That's what the Lord says in verse 8. And you probably are saying to yourself, maybe you are, well, why didn't he just do it himself if he's all-powerful? And of course he is all-powerful. Why didn't he just do it himself? Well, God has ordained in his sovereignty to use us to accomplish his plan. He can do whatever he wants. He's God. That seems to be the way that it works in this world that he uses his children, he uses his church to accomplish his plan. He is looking for servants, y'all. He's looking for messengers. I want to call the worship team back up as well. But God is on the throne, right? God's on the throne. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that in the last two weeks. God's on the throne. You know, God is still on the throne. Ed, you do realize that God is on the throne. Well, okay, I get it, y'all. I get it. God, I've seen the picture. God is on the throne. He is, but he still says, who am I going to send? Who am I going to send? 
who is going to go for us? The king of kings says, who am I going to send? And so I want all of us to have confidence he is on the throne. Have stability in that. Don't you need that today? I mean, like, I so do. I need to, like, tattoo that on my arm. But Susan says I can't. I need to tattoo that on my arm and know that he is on the throne, y'all. So I have stability in that, but also I also want to have a fresh dose of brokenness to know who I am in light of that right there. Humility. Woe is me. Woe is me. Not woe is you. Woe is me. A fresh dose of stability and confidence in the fact that he's on the throne. And, and let us re- just reflect on what the seraphim said. Holy, holy, holy. I want us to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. That's a churchy word, consecrate, but all that means is to be set apart. And not just set apart for nothing, but set apart for a purpose. Don't you know consecrate and holiness in the language are are almost the same word? Set apart. That ties right in with God saying, who am I going to send? We're set apart for a purpose. And so I want all of us to just cry out to the Lord, Lord, I'm not much. I bring nothing to the table other than a heart that is passionately in love with you, Lord. I got nothing. I got dirty lips just like Isaiah. I got a lot of imperfections. I got a lot of scars. I got a lot of, of hurt and pain. You know, are you? did you drag into this building today a lot of hurt and a lot of pain from whatever happened in the past? And we all do. Scars and mistakes. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy that's new every day. And, Lord, you are on the throne, and you are awesome, and you are all-powerful, and you're the King of kings. And, Lord, here I am. Send me. That's what Isaiah said. Here I am. Send me. And so, y'all, we'll know in the next days or weeks. Two, two networks called the election yesterday. And we'll know for sure in the next coming weeks who, who's going to be the president in the United States. And you know what? I want you to hear this today. Whoever it is will not alter anyone's eternity. Trump, Biden, they're not altering anybody's eternity. Me and you, as Christ followers, have the honor and the privilege on this side of the cross to play some sort of a role in somebody's forever. Here I am, send me. That's what Isaiah said. God has designed it so me and you are used in his plan to go out in the world and preach the gospel. What Matthew 28 What did Jesus tell his guys? Go and make disciples. And their response was not, no, no, Lord, you're you're the guy. You're all powerful. You do it yourself. No. They went out and millions and millions of people are in heaven because of that. They played some role in somebody's forever. And he is not looking for the smartest peanut in the bushel. He's not looking for the dude that has a Ph.D. in theology. He's not looking for the best-looking man, the best-looking woman. He's not looking for the tallest. He's not looking for the shortest. I don't know why he'd be looking for the shortest. He's not looking for any of that. You know what he's looking for, y'all? He's looking for availability. He's looking for the ones that would say, like Isaiah said, I'm broken. Here I am. Send me. Send me. And that, look, 
if you have never been in the very presence of the Lord, and I really, you know what, I want you all to picture this. I want you, everybody, to close your eyes. If you're watching online, close your eyes and just listen to these words. If you have never been, found yourself in the presence of the Lord, I want you to take yourself in your mind into that throne room. And you are sitting, standing, looking, gazing upon the very face of the creator of the universe. And if you have never, that is the one who offers you eternal life. Like, are you kidding me? And I'm so messed up. And that holy God offers me eternal life? The answer to that question is he absolutely does. And it is in those imperfections, and it is in the mistakes that you've made, and it is right in the middle of the sinfulness that when we cry out to him and acknowledge the brokenness, that's the moment where he will change your heart. That's the pre-op that gives you a heart transplant. And so if you've never been in his presence, let today be the day. Lord, I repent of my sin. I am a man, a woman of unclean lips. Save me right now. And I promise y'all, he will touch your lips with burning coal and your eternity just changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, y'all, if that happened to you, our prayer team is going to be out in this foyer. If if your heart, you got a heart transplant today, please go out there and talk to them. Please let them pray alongside of you. I'm going to turn it over to the worship team, and then we have one God plunge today. So I encourage y'all to stay with us and celebrate with, in baptism.